our sort of advantage over our competitors who are funded is we're very nimble and we can do whatever the hell we want to do. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Hey everyone, I just wanted to tell you about a big online event that I'm throwing on Tuesday, July 28th to August 2nd. It's called the Growth Summit, and it includes some of the top minds in digital marketing and sales, such as Neil Patel, Keaton Shaw, Brian Belfour from HubSpot, Ollie Gardner from Unbounce, and much, much more. The amount of knowledge that is going to be dropped during this event is priceless, and here's the kicker. It's free. And we're also giving away a free resource called 29 Growth Hacking Wins by Matan Griffel and Growth Everywhere. So go to growtheverywhere.com slash summit. Once again, that's growtheverywhere.com slash summit to register now to lock in your seat and prepare for an incredible event. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere. And I shouldn't say this week's edition because we're doing two a week right now. So welcome to this edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Alan Branch, who is the co-founder of Less Accounting, which is accounting software for business owners who dislike bookkeeping. And I definitely dislike bookkeeping. So Alan, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. So why don't you talk a little bit about your background and how it led up to less accounting? Wow. Uh, my background, how far you want to go back? My background is actually, uh, I was a marketing major in college, switched to the design department. I was uh, uh, I did a little computer science stuff, so I was uh, more, mark, more artsy than the business kids, more nerdy than the artsy kids, and more artsy than the nerdy kids. Uh, <laughs> so I wasn't really great at anything, but uh, I started out as a freelance designer out of college. And uh, that was like you know, 2003-ish. Uh, and then uh, a couple of years after that, we formed, my business partner and I formed Less Everything, started building web apps, doing web consulting, and started working on Less Accounting probably 2000, into 2006, launching in 2007. Got it. Okay. And why don't you talk a little bit about the business uh, itself? I mean, I gave you a little description, but it's always good to hear from the co-founder. Yeah. So Less Accounting is uh, software as a service. Uh, it's for uh, business owners that hate accounting, which is everybody. Right. Uh, it's not like QuickBooks. Our interface is easy to use. We don't give you every feature in the world. We're really meant for businesses that, uh, you know, need to send a few invoices or don't need to send a proposal or don't track a few expenses. Use payroll software. We don't provide any sort of uh, payroll software. We like WagePoint and Zen Payroll, um, and they want to get back to work and don't want to be overwhelmed by their numbers. You know, if you're doing. Uh, a couple hundred thousand a year up to a couple million a year, you know kind of how you're spending your money. You have enough, your fingers on the pulse of your business and you know for the most part where you're spending your money and you don't need, you need some cash flow analysis stuff and a P&L, but you don't need anything to overwhelm you. Um, and you kind of know seasonal trends and the cash flow, that sort of stuff. But we, we think accounting software shouldn't be the first thing you log into every day as a business owner. Um, it should really get out of your way when you get back to work. Totally agree. And so why don't we talk about, I mean, what type of numbers can you share, you know, around profitability, users, things like that? 
all the numbers I give you are going to be so terrible, terrible as in sad, because you, you probably speak to such great growth companies and people that are VC funded that look for hockey stick stuff. That's not really our game. You know, we, we launched this app in 2007, uh, never with the mindset of taking over the world, uh, never looking to be the market leader. That's going to be QuickBooks. And at this point, that could be zero. Um, we're not looking to be that. We're looking at really our metric for success was in 2011, we basically stopped doing consulting work, stopped building web apps for people. And we're, we turned into a product company. We did that not because we had crazy growth. We did that because we were very conservative in our spending. We spend almost nothing on marketing. Uh, we put a lot of money into customer support, a lot of money into UI and just being good to people and customers. And it's just slowly over the course of years and years paid off. Uh, and, and a VC, you know, a VC would look at our numbers, they would be like, oh, dear God. Uh, but we're profitable. I work about 30 hours a week. Uh, it doesn't, the work doesn't stress me out. I do whatever I want and no one tells me what to do. And that's sort of our bar of success. And it took us years and years to get there. It took us years and years to realize um, that we had really great jobs because we kind of compared ourselves to VC-funded companies and we'll go, man, we, we're not going to get this. We're looking for, why is people looking for hockey stick growth and what's wrong with us? And we just kind of realized that that's not our game and, and we're not trying to compete on that and they can, they can be the owners. And so we're content being the small little company that you can't kill. Because we're profitable, you can't kill us. We're the cockroach of the software accounting and uh, accounting software industry. Other accounting software has come in and out and gone out of business and we're still here. Got it. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. it's it's not at all about you know having to hit that hockey stick growth. It's it's sometimes it's about you know just enjoying profitability and not having to work as hard, right? And just kind of doing what you want to do at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, work needs to be satisfying and uh, and, and fulfilled, and, and that's good. I mean, my dad owns car washes, and I I don't think being the owner of a car washer is very creative or sat- creative, creatively satisfying. Uh, and so work can be fun. Um, I enjoy my work. I get up every day and there's things I want to get done. Um, nothing's ever finished. You're never proud of everything you've built. There's just always like, oh, that part of the app sucks, even after eight years. It's like, oh, man, I wish we had time to do that. Man. But uh, we're not in a rush. That's the other thing, too. You know, People are in this rush, rush, rush phase. And, and uh, I'm, th- I'm only 35 this year. And maybe that's a younger man's game. I'm kind of old at this point. Um, but we don't have people breathing down our throats. You know, we only are we are motivated now to help our customers. We're not motivated to uh, get a hockey stick growth. It's all about helping customers, and we're not in a rush. To, I mean, we we work as we want to. We say no to features. It's it's actually rather a nice lifestyle. Got it. Okay. Now talk about, I mean, what's the story behind you guys shifting away from consulting? Because you hear about the stories, like, you know, 37 signals, they move away from consulting. It happens all the time. So what's your story? Yeah. You know, in 2000, 2007, 2011, 37 signals are just, they're the nicest guys. And they, you know, talked about what they were doing. And that was so cool. And that seemed like that was the, 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 green, the green pastures. That was the, the promised land. And uh, we thought, oh, and our consultancy was doing over a million dollars a year. We take gigantic bonuses. But we always thought, oh, it'll be so much better when we, we, are, we are a product company. And uh, we're now a product company. And it's still, it's not perfect. You know, you, you, instead of, you're, you're trading a couple handful of big clients for thousands of clients. And I, and I still get emails, you know, we'll change a button color in less accounting. And we'll get 50 tickets that say, 50 support tickets that say that. Oh, love the new button color, and fifty more that say you should kill yourself, right? And so <laughs> you still get you get you know the, the bigger your app grows, the, the, you get more hate mail. Um, but 
I, I thought looking back, consult, being a consultant is, not, is, is great. You can make great, fantastic money from it. The cash flow is hard to keep track of because it's kind of feast or famine. One month you don't get paid, one month you do, or cash flow in the company. But um, we just wanted to be a product company because we thought that's what we wanted. And, and um, maybe we should have kept the consultancy around. I don't really know. I don't, I don't like to tell people like being a consultant is, is dumb and being, being a product company is great because it's both, both have pros and cons. Um, you know, it's just a different lifestyle. You know, you, in, in, a, in a SaaS company like this, there are less days to celebrate. Um, every day is kind of great, but with with consultancy, you get these gigantic checks. You may get a check of a couple hundred thousand dollars. Right? That's awesome. You go out and have beers and you all celebrate. But with, with a SaaS company that has just slow, continuous growth, there's no major spike days of, oh, this is awesome. Normally, those emotional days happen around ego things being mentioned in a large magazine or someone tweeting something. It's very ego-driven. Um, and uh, so I missed the sort of a little bit of the, of the ups that being a consultant had, you know, landing the client, going to see the client, all that kind of stuff was kind of fun looking back. Um, we were always in such a race to become a product company that we didn't really enjoy being consultants as much. We should have. Got it. Okay. I mean, so you, I mean, you've been involved with accounting, you know, we'll just call it finance. Uh, what are some common mistakes and pitfalls you see startups making when it comes to this type of stuff? Yeah. So procrastination, right? Bookkeeping really is rather simple, especially for these tech businesses. We don't have major assets, you know, our computers, our assets, basically. Uh, you know, so bookkeeping is rather simple. It's, it's like expense categorization, paying your employees. If you're sending a few invoices, you're just tracking those down. So, the mess and the pain people go through is because they, oh, I haven't even, I haven't even, you know, categorized my expenses in three years. And now you have a gigantic mess. I do our own bookkeeping. It takes me about an hour every other week. Uh, and, and we do a couple million bucks a year. Um, and so it's not that big of a deal. And the other thing people do that's unrelated to sort of normal tax work is cash flow. Like, you should be noticing, especially for consultants or yeah, I guess some SaaS business too, you should be looking for seasonal trends in your cash flow. Like for less accounting, we actually have seasons. We have around tax season, we have giant spikes in revenue and signups and conversions because people have procrastinated all year and it's January 1st and now they're jumping in their books. And so, but we know this time of year, the uh, sort of uh, post April through about October is our slow time. And so we make sure that this time of year we have plenty of cash that we haven't gone and spent a bunch of money in the spring on advertising, that we have at least three or four months of cash in the bank waiting for us if we ever were to need it. Like if something crazy were to happen, lots of time, we still have cash in the bank. And so just being aware of how much cash you need and seasonal cash flow trends is, I think, another thing. And spending less, you know, spending less money than you make, as uh, simple as that sounds, it's hard to do. It's hard to save money, both personal and in the business. Got it. Okay. Now, what are some financial frameworks, frameworks or templates that you think would help startups? So, for example, for me, you know, looking at a cash flow statement um, each week helps me a lot. I mean, what are some other things that you think would be super helpful? I don't really have a framework. I, I really just have, um, my, you know, if you are if you're a startup and just starting out and uh, you're watching every penny, every penny matters. Uh, I would not get into the mindset of building every tool for yourself. Uh, you know, it's it's very easy, especially for us developers, to go, oh well, I instead of sending invoices through less accounting or FreshBooks or Zero or Blink Sale, one of the Harvest, I'll just build myself a little invoicing app. <laughs> just 
use the software. And now here's the other the caveat to that is when you, since you're so small, ask them for a discount and email the founder and say, hey, man, I'm where you were X years ago and, and, and I'm struggling and could you give me a discount? I guarantee you, you will get free stuff from people by, by just asking. So if you're pinching pennies, just <clears throat> ask for a discount and you'll more than likely get one. And then don't get in the mindset of, of building things to save yourself time. I, you know, you should be purchasing software and, you know, that goes for graphics and stock photos, all that sort of stuff uh, to save yourself time. Your time obviously is the most valuable resource. People talk about that all the time. Uh, don't get into the mindset you have to work 80 hours just to keep yourself profitable. Got it. Couldn't agree more. Okay. So let's, let's switch a little gears to uh, user acquisition. For less accounting, I mean, how did you guys acquire your first, let's say, 50 customers? Yeah, so that was 2008, and the times are just so different now. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's a, it's, that was when everyone was talking about Web 2.0, Web 2.0. Uh, you know, it's all about mashups of APIs. We basically just emailed our friends. This is before Twitter was around and blogging was a new thing. We basically emailed uh, bloggers and said, hey, we want to be the base camp of accounting. And we love 37 Signal, that we want to bring a simple accounting app to the market. Can you tell your friends? And that was before Twitter, so they weren't tweeting out their blog about it. And we had a little splash page that said, sign up for the beta test. And all this stuff was like groundbreaking in 2008. Like, what? What? A, a, there was no launch rock, locket or anything like that. It was all, you know, build your own form in your app and uh, collect the email addresses and then hand email them. I don't even know. MailChimp was barely around at that time. Um, but now I would, depending on what the market is, I would do drastically different things depending on who your target market is. But that was, you know, 2007 was ancient times. What are you guys doing nowadays? What's like, a, what are a few unique things you guys are doing to acquire more users today? Yeah, you know, people talk about content marketing. I, I'm not a huge fan of content marketing in, in the normal sense of writing blog posts that everyone else is writing. You know, we, we do write how to collect on unpaid invoices on our blog and and uh, I, I think, you know, our, our sort of advantage over our competitors who are funded is we're very nimble and we can do whatever the hell we want to do. Uh, and so with content marketing, I'm getting into writing about things that are really unrelated to, well, unrelated to running a business. Uh, I've written, I wrote an article about how to build a backyard office space. Um, people are calling them shed quarters, so they're calling them now. Basically, it's like the size of a shed that's in your backyard. I built one this past summer. And uh, wrote about how to build it. I'd never built anything in my life like that, and I was like, I'm gonna learn how to build something. And I wrote a little, like, basically a little guide on it. And it gets, you know, a couple thousand new visitors a day on it because it's optimized for SEO and it's linked up certain places and well written and it's interesting. So how does that work out for you? I mean, because you know, people, you know, the, the content marketing experts are like, yeah, you should only focus on one niche. So no. you know, you're writing about different things, and I have to imagine, you know, people are seeing it, it's like, wow, I am getting to know this person and I got value out of this. So what, what does that work for you in terms of sales at the end of the day? Yeah, it's, we try to run, we as in just business owners try to all run our businesses scientifically. Uh, and I don't think you can, I think you have to trust your gut more. I don't have the Google analytics to back up. I mean, we do have Google analytics, but I don't have the data to say, Oh, look, we do have conversions based off that traffic. But what you see are people recommending less accounting either on Twitter or in person. And they saw less accounting because of some article we wrote somewhere or something we did that was really not in the vein of that makes sense for accounting software to be doing for marketing. 
you know, sponsoring pizza parties at meetups and things that really don't are untrackable, uh, you know, doing podcast interviews. You don't really see, especially with accounting software, it's not an impulse buy. So you're not seeing people come to the site the first time and paying for it. It's they come to the site three or four times, they download some, they come back, they, you know, talk to us on Twitter, then they recommend it. So it's really just getting in the minds of them. And so one day they may go, Oh, you know, I talked to my account, I really need to use QuickBooks. No, fuck QuickBooks, I'll use less accounting. And that's really where we, we just try to stay top of mind. And if you know, if you ever have a friend that starts a business, you might say, Oh, try less accounting because I read this weird guide on how to build a go-kart. It was written by the founder. And he, he built a go-kart once with his son. You know, stuff like that. We just try to be, we don't, the worst thing we can do is follow sort of the, the footsteps of our competitors who are funded, vastly funded, 70, 80, 100 million dollars. We can't keep up with that. So we can't, we can't be like them. We have to be ourselves. Got it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, to your credit, how I heard of you is I just read a few articles and stumbled upon a few things that you wrote. And I was like, well, you know, this guy is smart. This, this totally makes sense. You know, let's have a conversation. So sure. yeah, that, that stuff works, man. Um, so let's talk about growing less accounting. I mean, what are not so much growing, actually, what are some struggles you face while growing the business? So the, 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 uh, I would say the, the hardest, well, the most, I guess we have customers that will use our product for years and then their accountant will insist on them changing their accounting software because the accountant has been using a piece of software, whether it's QuickBooks or Peachtree or Sage or whatever it may be, they've been using it for years and they, rightly so, they don't want to use several pieces of software. So they force all their clients to use one piece of software. And we we have helped clients or customers change change accountants and stuff like that. But that's really disheartening when you have a happy customer that goes, guys, I really love your stuff and we're perfectly happy. But our accountant who we really don't want to change him is making us use QuickBooks or making us use something else. Um, that's been, you know, having that gatekeeper in the industry has been really uh, not tough to overcome feature wise, but when you get those emails and it, it's, it lets the air out of your sails, you know, it's like getting punched in the gut. Um, that, that's been interesting to kind of overcome. And then just a mental sort of um, being consistent. And uh, when, you, when you don't feel like, you know, we've been doing this for eight years. And so and this is all we really do. And so grinding on the same problems for eight years, it mentally is hard. You get to, you know, not, I mean, there's plenty of things to work on, but it's just, Sometimes you feel like you need a break from it. So that, that's why we have other little projects we've done in the past is because we need mental breaks from our main project. Um, so it's really less overcoming feature-wise. I, I mean, we wish we had ba- better bank data. Our bank data, pr- data provider is not great to work with. Um, but uh, it's really just a mental overhead of running a company and, and staying focused on core issues, which is the hardest part. Couldn't agree more. So, I mean... Going a little, I guess, to darker times, I mean, was there at any point in time where the company was on the brink of failure? Hmm. Failure. Failure. Um, oh, well, you know, the first three years of Less Accounting, it made little to no money. It, it was us, you know, hiring our staff to work on Less Accounting while we went out and did consulting work. And it was like that for years. For years and years, we basically worked two jobs, putting little bits of time and money into less accounting that made no money. 
and, uh, and, and promoting it and, and pushing it and uh, it looking like it never is going to ever make any money. And we're talking about after two years making like a grand or two a, a month. Right? And so in those times, you certainly go, oh, my God, are we doing the right thing? This doesn't make any sense. What? Everyone else seems like they're getting so much growth and we're not. What's going on? Because um, only now do people talk about – people are a lot more transparent now with their numbers than they were in 2008 and, and nine and 10. Um, and so you just, you felt, we felt so just like, oh, defeated. But we just kept trudging along. And trudging along just kind of worked for us. Um, well, at least, you know, looking back, it seemed like it has. Um, but yeah, the first few years were the hardest. You know, when you, it's, it's much easier to deal with uh, features and figure out what the features are when you have lots of customers and a list of, you know, 100,000 people and, you know, than it is when you're dealing with the first 10 people. And getting the first ten people—that's that's tough, and that's it's easier to give up on a project like that. We, you know, at this point, we couldn't give up on us. Like, I mean, people would—we have a riot of people in the houses. Um, but uh, in the beginning, it's it's easier to quit, and um, and uh, it's right there in front of you. Yeah, I mean, psychologically, for three years, I mean, what, I mean, what were you kind of telling yourself for those three years? Because I, I, you know, people are, are like, yeah, you know, things have to move quickly. You know, you talk about hockey stick growth and all that, but to to trudge through it for three years, I mean, what kind of got you guys? What's what told you guys that hey, this is this is the way to go. This is going to work. We had a core group of users in the beginning, not our friends, uh, which was disheartening too. Uh, that liked less accounting that, and not just liked, but they were adamant about and passionate about like they're expressing their opinions, which is hard to get people to do, you know, getting people to give you good feedback is hard. Um, and so they were good to us and we saw the vision of the software and we knew we could do it. And, um, I just don't quit on things. I'm not, I'm just not a, I'm not a jumper. I mean, we have lots of projects, but, um, uh, you know, I, I just I, we stick it out. You know, we we're silver. Steve, my business partner Steve is, uh, we're both, both very silver linings. Like you know, you know, we're, there's we always there's progress being made. The app's getting better. We're using the app. Customers are liking it. The revenue's going up slowly. So there's always a forward progress, um, and we could always just sell ourselves on it's getting better and we should keep going. Um, that we just kept working on it. Got it. And um, so, okay. I mean, you've been at, you know, the $1,000, $2,000 a month mark. I mean, what yeah. kind of caused the spike? Well, there never was a spike. You know, um, we even asked Jason, Jason Fried of 37 Singles used to do office hours where he would let you call in. You could talk to him and schedule over time. And we asked him in 2010 or nine, we said, man, when did you guys get that hockey, that big old spike for base came out? What was it? And he literally said, there never was a big spike. And don't expect one. And there never has been. We've been mentioned in Forbes, and we've been on CNBC and MSNBC and Wired, and we've been in every news outlet you can imagine. And the spikes are so tiny from those, and they usually don't even equivalent to any sort of money. Um, there never is a spike. It's always a slow ramping, at least for us, of um, growth. You know, we, we shoot for, um, I think the slow years were like 8% growth in the whole year and a good year was like 20% growth. Um, and just over time, it just grows. Like, hey, I'll you know, take it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Ooh. Um, 25, I'm trying to think, what was I when I was 25? Um, I would, you know, we worked ourselves too hard in the beginning. 
um, we were um, we were just hard on ourselves in general. Like um, I remember, just we would put in so many hours, and, and they were not beneficial hours to work that many hours. Like no one was taught. It was very sexy to work a whole lot of hours in two thousand you know seven through ten. Even you know, eleven, it was like people would brag about how much they worked, and maybe people do that now. I don't really pay attention to that, but uh, you know, we let work just take over our lives, and our, our health suffered, and relationships suffered, and we're just now getting. Steve and I, I keep saying we, my business partner Steve and I, are just now getting back to where you know I had no hobbies for years. I worked all weekend. We worked till two in the morning, and when you work a lot of hours, it's fine working out a lot of hours in spurts, but not consistently. We, when you work that many hours, you, you're la- you're, every hour you work, you become less productive and less creative. And especially for me, who, who does marketing and design and, and things like that, I need my creative spark to be lit. And uh, we just worked ourselves to death, man. And, and it did not really matter that much. You know, um, It wasn't productive hours. At, and, and at the end of the day, it was probably negative because, because we would get done with work and we would be so exhausted we couldn't. I wasn't a great, I mean, I wasn't a great husband probably and I wore a great father. And I just, it wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't good. Um, nothing should, nothing over the course of three years should take, you know, 60, 70 hours a week of your time. Uh, it's just not worth it. Yeah. That's what, that's what, like what they call slavery. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that. make your business your slave on it, right? It's entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is, is, is cool, but don't sell yourself on it. It's sexy to work 80 hours. Unless you're like single and 21 or something. I don't know. But uh, I, don't, I don't recommend working like a whole lot of hours like that. Yeah, totally agree, man. Um, I mean, okay. What is – how do you structure your day? My day – I get up really early. So I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and they're both homeschooled. Uh, and so I get up about 5.45, 6 o'clock. And I am working by like 6.15. And uh, I swim laps at a local college for exercise about noon. And uh, I stop working about 3 o'clock. And um, 3, 3.30, 4, something like that. And the rest of the day, because it's light outside, we go play. We have fun. We go do this fun stuff. Sail, ride go-karts, build stuff, play in the pool. But my work day, I start off by getting through my emails, which a lot of people say, oh, don't do emails first. Do your most creative thing. But I'm, I'm just waking up and drinking coffee, and I don't feel like ripping apart any code or anything, and so I get run through emails and bust them all out and uh, just turn email off for about three hours until the kids get up, and, and uh, that three hours is where I get probably the majority of my actual work done um, from probably six to nine, um, and so because it's quiet, I've turned my email off, and I'm just, the, the caffeine's hit me. I'm, I'm high as hell on some caffeine. <laughs> and uh, I'm just cranking out, cranking out the work. You know what? You know what I'm talking about when you're you got all that caffeine in you and you're just feeling great. Yeah. And uh, that's when I get my majority of the work done. And then the rest of the day, it just depends on what I'm doing. My days are so different every day, but that's that's my core work schedule. No, and I, I like the way that you're. I like how it's structured because it's it's it sounds like a good life, right? And ultimately, I, I think it shows everyone that's listening. You don't need to go just because you see in TechCrunch or VentureBeat or whatever that people are growing so quickly. You know, there's nothing wrong with growing. You know, ramping up growth slowly and then just growing over time um, and not having to work yourself to death, right? So, totally yeah, appreciate what you're doing. I, I think that uh, any we're in this industry where there's so many overachievers. And overachievers over, overachieve because we're terribly hard on ourselves. I played uh, college football, 
and I'm really hard on myself, like really, really, really hard on myself. And I got to the high level of football because I was so hard on myself. And uh, and we compare ourselves to, to the top people. And, and, but, in, but in sports, you see their performance and you know their true performance. But in business, there's so much posturing and uh, everyone puts their best side out on the internet. And so you're comparing your – so there's a quote that says you could – you compare your worst inside thoughts to people's outward-facing thoughts on Facebook, and you go like, "Oh man, I'm a piece of shit. This person's doing so much, and they're so great. Look what I'm doing." And comparing yourself to people, especially in business and and and, and on the internet and tech, is just don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah, you're, gonna, you're gonna feel like shit. Yeah, you don't. see people's uh, highlights, and then you know, yeah. never see their lowlights. Exactly. Yep. Totally agree, man. Um, okay. What's one productivity hack you can share? Um, productivity hack. You know, I'm, I, I am – I do marketing design, UI, that sort of stuff. And so my productivity hack isn't what someone else's might be. Like, you know, turn email off, blah, blah, blah. Don't, you know, Pomodoro or whatever. I have to take time off to be creatively productive. So if I'm not feeling productive, I will not – there's no nine to five for me. Like, I don't – it's like – if I'm feeling like kind of stuck in a rut at 11 a.m. or whatever, I will go cut my yard, the grass, like mow, and not listen to any podcasts, not listen to any audiobooks, just breathe. And because if I'm not charged up creatively, I won't get things done. I won't have ideas. Ideas and creative spark is what fuels everything I do. And so there's no like I'm not punching the clock. And I don't think most people are. I think we, if you feel like you're not being productive, just stop and go for a walk. And don't try to go like, I'm going to get you know, charged back up by listening to, to Mark Cuban's quotes. Just go like walk and listen to the fucking birds. Just listen to the birds and just breathe in and out. And you'll come back and you'll be ready to bust out some work. Go for a walk for 15 minutes. And so I guess my productivity hack is when you're not being productive, don't go try to force yourself being productive. Go go change the scenery, go for a walk, go, uh, you know, I do, I have a bad back, so I'll do a bunch of stretching. Um, I'll go clean up my workshop for an hour. I'll come back and do some, I'll do I'll change the scenery and not think about it. I'll come back and I'll, I'll know what to do. Got it. It's a very, uh, it's a very Zen slash mindfulness approach. Uh, love it. Well, I don't think of it as Zen. I think of it as getting the grass cut because I don't feel like working. I think that's pretty Zen, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to each his own. Um, okay. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? You know, I've read all the, all the Seth Godin books and, uh, you know, Stephen Pressfield, the, the Art of War, or the, the War of Art, one of the two. And, um, uh, you know, all, um, not, what's the Gladwell stuff? But I, uh, I'm just not big into business books anymore, man. I love books like, um, again, creativity is big for me. So I like Nick Offerman, the guy from um, Parks and Rec. Uh, he's got a bunch of really funny audiobooks. I love. I like. I like listening to comedians' biographies. Um, yes, please by Amy Poehler is fantastically funny. Um, I, I like that sort of stuff. I don't really get into you know Glywell stuff anymore. They're great. I'll listen to them, but I don't think it's really top. I mean, if you have any recommendations, in there, maybe interesting. I'm not, maybe I'm not listening to the right ones. <laughs> no, it's interesting because I, I mean, it sounds like a it sounds like a fundamental shift. So what do you think caused that? It's just things are too boring on the business side or? I, 
I just, I think the first like six or seven years of business, I just tried cramming it into me. It was like, like beating a dead horse to gallop. And, uh, and the, the horse was just tired, man. And, uh, and so I, I feel, when, after I listen to that, if I laugh a bunch, like Amy Poehler's book, Yes, Please, is so witty and funny. It charges me up to want to write. And it charges me up creatively that I, you know, the stuff she says is transferable in the business. And, and you, the ideas just start coming out of that. That I, I think it's almost like laughter and injecting new thoughts into your brain just kind of like accelerates the oxygen. And then there's like new ideas start popping. So if, the, if, you, if you get that through meditation, if you got, get that through running or comedy books or funny podcasts or you know, building things with Legos, do whatever charges your brain up to have great ideas. I don't think it has to be business books. Um, you know, Tipping Point, great book. But you know, I don't think that charged me up to have any great ideas. Um, I think pod, a funny podcast that I'll laugh a few times really gets me charged up to get some stuff done and have ideas. Yeah, and I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. I mean, reading your content or it's the same thing, right? Listening to podcasts or just walking outside, you get different ideas. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you don't feel any creative energy, I, I think you should just dump whatever you don't like. So agree with that. Um, I mean, Alan, this is great. Uh, what's the best way for people to find you online? Probably Twitter. It's um, at Alan Branch. Do we even need to say at anymore on Twitter? Just Alan Branch on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that at is sort of just like implied at this point. Um, and then it's uh, Alan at Lesser County. If you ever want to shoot me an email, all right. And, uh, I'm pretty open to Skype calls, and uh, and uh, somebody's just like, I get random emails from people that are just like, dude, I hate this. These these people just tear their hearts out via email and, and tell me all their. I get those, but I'm I'm a good shoulder to cry on if you need that. You know, that's what I think. We got we got a therapist too. Less therapy. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Cool, man. Um, yeah, everybody, make sure you also um, – we'll drop this in the show notes too. But his blog, Alan Branch's blog, is awesome. You need to check it out if um, you're any type of business owner or just for fun in general. Um, Alan, thanks again for doing this. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to tell you about a big online event that I'm throwing on Tuesday, July 28th to August 2nd. It's called the Growth Summit, and it includes some of the top minds – in digital marketing and sales, such as Neil Patel, Keaton Shaw, Brian Belfour from HubSpot, Ollie Gardner from Unbounce, and much, much more. The amount of knowledge that is going to be dropped during this event is priceless, and here's the kicker. It's free. And we're also giving away a free resource called 29 Growth Hacking Wins by Matan Griffel and Growth Everywhere. So go to growtheverywhere.com slash summit. Once again, that's growtheverywhere.com slash summit to register now to lock in your seat and prepare for an incredible event. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.